Now, halfway through the 2022 season, the Seahawks so far have been the big winners of the Russell Wilson trade. I'll be taking a look at how two veteran contributors that were part of that deal are making a splash for the 6-3 and three Seahawks on our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Especially going to shout out to our German listeners. We finally are there. Week 10, the Seahawks coming to Munich, getting ready to face off against Tom Brady, the GOAT. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should be a huge weekend across the pond. Looking forward to covering that game. We've got a lot on tap for this Wednesday episode. We get two Wednesday episodes. Wasn't able to record yesterday thanks to being at the Los Angeles airport for 11 hours, dealing with seven delays, trying to get back from covering the Cardinals game. So weren't able to get a Tuesday show in, but going to be covering a lot today. Tell the truth Wednesday, switching things up a little bit on this Munich game week. Also going to be taking a first look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and much more. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. And they have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. Now for your lead story here on our opening drive of our Wednesday Locked On Seahawks podcast. We're only halfway through the 2022 season. Time will tell whether or not the Seahawks or Broncos win the Russell Wilson trade. But early returns are certainly lopsided. Up to this point, the two draft picks the Seahawks made with selections acquired in part of that deal in the 2022 draft, Charles Cross and Boy Mafe have been starting most of the season. In Cross's case, he started all nine games so far for the Seahawks, and both are making major contributions for a first-place team in the NFC West. But I think it'd be remiss not to mention a couple of the veterans that were throw-ins to make this trade happen. Shelby Harris and Noah Fant, monster games on Sunday in the 31-21 victory over the Cardinals. And the two of them continue to make major impacts on both sides of the football. And their veteran leadership has also been helpful for a team that's got a lot of rookies and a lot of young players that are playing significant snaps, and obviously playing very well with those opportunities, but you've got to have veterans that can help pick up some of the slack and can lead a young football team like this. And the Seahawks have certainly gotten that from Noah Fant and Shelby Harris. So I think a lot of people focus on the future and obviously Seattle's still going to get a first and second round pick next year from the Broncos as part of this deal. But I think we've got to talk about the present and the influence that these two veterans have had on the Seahawks emerging as a contender in the NFC. These two guys haven't just ended up being veteran throw-ins that have played a handful of snaps. They have been key contributors for the Seahawks. You look at some of the numbers here. Noah Fant, he's coming off a season-high 96 receiving yards in Sunday's game against the Cardinals. He had 51 yards on a catch-and-run, the final touchdown drive, 71 yards after the catch. He's got He's third on the team in receptions, receiving yards first in Yak. Shelby Harris also is making a major impact, and he was really the type of player that's going to be in Kyler Murray's nightmares when you consider the fact that 
He had four pressures in the sack in the week nine win. He's had at least four pressures in three of the past four games. That includes their week six win over the Arizona Cardinals. So he's been all over the place for the Seahawks this season, and he's really made an impact rushing from the interior. He's third on the team in pressures. His pass rush win rate, according to Pro Football Focus, is third on the team as well. So both these players continue to make a major impact on the field. And it feels like, at least in the case of Fan, I think that Harris all season long has been a significant contributor for the Seahawks. They missed him in week two. That was a big loss when he got hurt early in the game against the 49ers, and they missed him against the run. But for being a player that has thrived in a 3-4 defense, like the one the Seahawks were trying to run the first five games of the season, He's shown he's got the athleticism to be able to thrive in more of an attacking one-gap scheme like the Seahawks have been deploying the last four weeks. We've seen the results from back to uh, front to back on this defense. The pass rush has been able to get home. The Seahawks now rank fourth in the NFL in sacks. A part of that has been the interior pass rush. Shelby Harris has played such a key role. Again, a third on the team with 19 pressures this season. He's got 24 tackles. He's also got a pair of sacks, had another one that slipped through his grasp on Sunday against the Cardinals. So we keep seeing number 93 come up big and the energy that he brings away from just what you see in the box score. There were countless plays against the run on Sunday, and we've seen this all year long, where he was able to stalemate a blocker, shed a block, force a running back to go back inside or cut outside right back into a teammate. And so there's a lot of things that are not in the box score that if you watch the film, you can see the impact this guy has. Chasing down quarterbacks, Daniel Jones in that Giants game, running after him. You don't see many 300-pound defensive tackles that are making plays like that, tripping up an athletic quarterback like Jones short of the sticks. Those type of plays are contagious when you look at a defense. Everybody feeds off that, and the energy, the passion. You can just tell Shelby Harris really has a lot of fun playing football, and that's been helpful for the Seahawks. On the other side of the equation, Noah Fan is a different personality than what Shelby Harris is. Shelby Harris is pretty voice uh, boisterous. Uh, he's a player that's energetic. He's going to let you know what he thinks. Noah Fan is more reserved, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't play the game with a similar uh, passion. He's just not as outward with his enthusiasm and his energy as what Shelby Harris is. But this is a guy that's been a much better blocker than I anticipated he was going to be. He's been coming up with key blocks, especially late in these games. He had a couple really nice run blocks in those closing drives to finish off the Cardinals on Sunday. That's been an area the Seahawks I don't think expected a lot from him. That's never been a strength in his game going back to his time at Iowa when he came to the NFL he was viewed as just a big-bodied receiver, not somebody that's going to be doing much as a blocker, and yet he has really improved a lot as the season has gone on. He and Colby Parkinson both. And what we're now starting to see early in the season, Noah Fan is a 4-5-40 guy. This guy's got really good speed at 250 pounds, but yet we really have, up to this point, we really haven't seen the Seahawks take advantage of that speed, that athleticism in the passing game. He's made some really nice catches in short yardage situations where he's had two or three defenders around him. He's made some nice contested catches. There's been a few that he's let out of his hands that I'm sure he would like to have back. But early on, wasn't getting a lot of chunk plays, weren't seeing the yards after the catch opportunities. That has started to change the last few weeks, and Geno Smith is looking more and more comfortable throwing the football to him, and everybody's going to point out that 51-yard catch and run on the final drive. And that was obviously a huge play against the Cardinals on Sunday with most of that yardage coming after the catch. 
making Zayvon Collins miss in space and then rumbling down into the red zone. Ken Walker the third scores a couple plays later, game over. You know, that was the game match point right there. That 51-yard play, Cardinals were expecting the Seahawks to just run out the clock, and they didn't. They were aggressive, play-action pass. Everybody's going to be talking about that, but Fant had three other first-down receptions in the first half. One of them in particular was a hell of a throw by Geno Smith. He had Charles Cross and the defender that was pushing him back into the pocket, hit him in the back. He was off platform and still delivered a strike for a 16-yard completion between three converging defenders in coverage. So that was not an easy catch for Noah Fan. He also had an 18-yard catch on a double pass that moved the chains as well. So this guy has done a really nice job the last three or four weeks of becoming a go-to weapon for Geno Smith. It felt like early on this year, they were trying to find ways to get him involved in the passing game, but the connection, the chemistry wasn't there yet. That has changed these last three or four games. And so he now ranks third on the team in receptions and receiving yards behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And that's what I was expecting coming into the season. Early on, we saw Will Disley ahead of him. Colby Parkinson had more yardage. But now with this big game, almost 100 yards against the Cardinals, he's moving to the third in both those categories. And I think we're going to start seeing some touchdowns. He's only got one to this point. But I think you're going to see Geno Smith looking for him in red zone situations, especially with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett attracting a lot of attention. The touchdowns are going to start coming. Fantasy owners are going to enjoy that. But from a non-fantasy perspective, these two players, Shelby Harris and Noah Pham, they're playing great football and offense and defense for the Seahawks. They're bringing veteran leadership. Fant's a player in his mid-20s that the Seahawks are going to have for another year with his fifth-year option picked up that looks like he could be a key part of their future. And Shelby Harris, I know he's a little older player, but defensive tackles can age pretty well, and he still is very athletic. That's a player that they may want to try to extend this offseason, try to get him under contract for a few more years just because of his presence in the locker room and how effective he is defending the run as well as rushing the passer. Both these guys should be part of Seattle's future uh, future plans, in my opinion, and their presence has just made this trade that much more lopsided. If the Seahawks can hit on at least one of those two early picks next year in the 2023 draft and they continue to get great play out of Geno Smith, uh, this is as lopsided of a blockbuster deal as you're seeing. I didn't anticipate that when this deal went down back in March. I don't think many people did, but certainly John Schneider, Pete Carroll, they're probably continuing to sip on the champagne a little bit with the way that this trade has worked out for them so far at 6-3, and three, leading the NFC West. Coming up next here on Tell the Truth Wednesday, going to be dishing out my final takes, maybe a few more hot takes coming out of Sunday's win over the Arizona Cardinals. Going to get to that here in a moment on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Recently, our family has undergone significant strife with members dealing with debilitating health issues. It really has been a struggle for me and my wife coping with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all. And BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, and it's available to people worldwide. 
With therapy, you can take a few tries to find the right fit for you, and BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. You're listening to the special edition Tell the Truth Wednesday of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you are in Antarctica, Ireland, Germany, Brazil, wherever you're listening from, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Didn't get to have a Tell the Truth Tuesday this week, as I mentioned earlier on the show. Kind of a crazy day. Was stuck in the Los Angeles airport for nearly 11 hours with seven plane delays. Had a canceled flight the day before. So trying to get back from Arizona, I thought I wasn't going to be back before the Seahawks finished their game against the Buccaneers in Munich. But nonetheless, going to do Tell the Truth Wednesday this week. We'll have a second episode of Matchup Wednesday episode coming later today with Rob Rang rejoining me. Let's get to some final takes here coming out of Sunday's victory over the Arizona Cardinals. And I want to start on the offensive line. And this is going to be interesting for some of our listeners because I've been very candid about my thoughts on how the Seahawks should proceed at right guard. And if they're going to start a player, I would still be leaning towards Phil Haynes being the one that gets all of the reps. But contrary to my normal belief, I think you've got to have continuity on the offensive line. And at the same time, there's just something different that is working for the Seahawks here with the platoon that they've got at right guard. So this is what I'm going to say. Let's keep this show going. Keep the musical chairs rolling at right guard. Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson, both are players that have injury histories. Haynes has missed most of his first two seasons in the NFL. He was banged up a little bit earlier this year, had a concussion. Gabe Jackson appears to have a chronic knee issue that he's dealing with, and he's also had a hip injury this year. He's now on the wrong side of 30. So you look at these two players, there, there's a lot of contrast and a lot of similarities. you got one that's an aging player. The other is an ascending one that the Seahawks have set has starter upside. I certainly agree with them on that with Phil Haynes. Could still be a starter for them at right guard in the future. And they're both playing well in reduced roles. Haynes gave up a couple pressures, did have a sack that he gave up the other day. I think that was one that Geno maybe could have gotten rid of the football, but he had some really nice run blocks. Gabe Jackson, three pressures, no quarterback hits, though. I thought he had a couple nice blocks in the run game. Overall, he did fine. The Seahawks have a really good situation at right guard right now because I think Gabe Jackson, since coming back from his hip injury a few weeks ago, the Seahawks have wisely managed his workload, and I think this makes their offense better, especially because Phil Haynes, a player, as I mentioned earlier, has had issues staying healthy too. Both these guys have those durability concerns, so why not rotate them? And again, continuity along the offensive line is critical. And so 99% of the time, it's kind of like quarterback in the NFL. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I kind of feel that way a little bit about the offensive line. Now, there are teams that have really good depth pieces at guard and tackle. They can step in and start a couple games and play well. But not a lot of teams have backups that are guys that could start all 16 games. I do think Phil Haynes, as long as he stays healthy, he's a player that could do that. He's only 27. He has great athleticism. He's physical. 
So he's got all of the tools you're looking for to start at guard in the NFL. He really fits Shane Waldron's offense well. Gabe Jackson, I thought he was kind of like fitting a square into a round peg when they traded for him if they were going to be running a lot more zone runs. And yet, when he's been healthy, I feel like the run blocking's been fine. The pass protection's been up and down. He had a really rough game against the 49ers earlier this year where he gave up seven pressures. The last couple of games, though, he's been a lot better. Only gave up one pressure in pass protection a couple weeks ago against the Giants. So the Seahawks are getting positive contributions from both of these players. And at this point, to keep them both fresh, the fact is they're not really missing that much, if anything, when they're rotating these guys. It, it feels like it is truly a 1A, 1B type situation. So why not give them both reps? And the best part about this is that the Seahawks can still play Gabe Jackson quite a bit, somewhat justify the contract they gave him last year. I don't think he's played up to that contract, but it gives you a chance to play the veteran who you're paying all this money continue to get him out there. And if he really gets rolling, then maybe you can give him all the reps late in the season. But you're also now getting a chance to continue to evaluate Phil Haynes, who is a significantly younger player with more athletic upside that fits your scheme. You're getting to see half the snaps and games right now going to him for further evaluation to see, you know what, he might be our starting right guard in 2023 and beyond. You're not going to know that without giving him snaps. So there's a lot of positives to this. This really is helping the Seahawks in a number of ways. So keep the rotation going. It's not something I thought I was going to be saying. I've been arguing for Phil Haynes all year. I would still lean his way if you're going to pick one or the other. But I like this setup right now, mixing and matching these two players, rotating them series. It's working quite well for Andy Dickerson and the entire Seahawks offense. On the defensive side of the football, I, got, I just got to give this guy a ton of credit. And I know some of our listeners are going to mention, hey, Corbin, you had Ryan Neal on the outside looking in during 53-man roster projections. I did. But if you remember clearly, there were two reasons for that. One, Josh Jones was the better player in training camp. That was undeniable. Josh Jones had a better camp. Neal missed most of training camp, too. Didn't play at all in the preseason. I had him on the outside looking in on injured reserve to start the season, and then they could activate him after missing four games. But they kept him on the roster, and it's a good thing that they did. And this is my argument right now. Really, I don't think there's much of an argument to it. I don't consider this a hot take at this point. Real deal, Ryan Neal has got to be part of the Seahawks' future plans, regardless of what Jamal Adams' health situation is. And this is not me saying that, Adams should be traded. This is not me saying that Adams should be cut going into next season. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know that there has been a player on this defense that has been more instrumental to the Seahawks turning things around after that brutal start the first five weeks than number 26. And he's been one of the best safeties in the NFL. Actually, Pro Football Focus has him as the highest graded safety in the NFL over the last four weeks, an 88.6 grade. That is considered an elite score from them. Again, I don't put too much stock in player grades, but the numbers and the film back this up. I, I don't know that there's a safety in the NFL right now in terms of all-around game that is playing better than Ryan Neal. He is the only safety, actually the only player in the NFL, since week six, to have a sack, an interception, four pass breakups, three tackles for loss, 
and two forced fumbles. No other player in the NFL has done that. In fact, I don't think that there's any players that have done three of the five, let alone all five of those categories. So he is on a playing field right now by himself. He's flying all over the field like his hair is on fire. and He's just one of those guys that's really fun to watch play football. And I was even saying that during training camp. I've always been a big fan of Ryan Neal. It's just this team has so much depth at safety that there were some questions. Is, is there going to be a spot for him? And it really felt like it was a 50-50 proposition just because they were getting good production from Joey Blunt in training camp. They liked him on special teams. Josh Jones was playing really well. You had Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. Marquise Blair was still on the roster. Nobody knew if they were going to move on from him or not. They ended up choosing Neal over Blair. Blair just got cut by the Panthers off their practice squad. So it looks like they certainly made the right decision on that front. But Neal's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. You've got to give him a tender because I feel like there's going to be some teams that are going to try to make a play for him. And you could get a draft pick back in return, but – I don't think that that's what the Seahawks need to be doing here. They need Ryan Neal on the roster, and even if Jamal Adams is back, which I fully expect that he's going to be back healthy and he's going to be starting for the Seahawks, you got to have all three of your stud, safe, your stud safeties on the field together. Ryan Neal, Jamal Adams, as well as Quandre Diggs. Those three should be playing the bulk of the snaps together next season. They've been trying to do that for a couple of years, and these can't keep every safety healthy, but, man, the, the possibilities, the potential with the way Ryan Neal was playing right now. He is playing like a borderline all-pro the last four weeks. Has been crucial to this defensive turnaround, giving up less than 13 points per game on defense in a four-game winning streak. A lot of that has to do with the play at number 26, and his teammates feed off the energy that he brings to the field, much like Shelby Harris. Again, another guy that really shows his passion for the game with what he does on the field and his energy. And the Seahawks, again, they're feeding off it. He's having a fantastic season. He's got to be part of their plans next year on defense as well. And on special teams, i got to give Jason Myers some love. And we've been doing it gradually on this show as the season has progressed. And it's an even season. So I was expecting, especially going into a contract year, that Jason Myers was going to bounce back. But he has got to be at this point on the all-pro radar. He's been as good and as automatic as any kicker in the NFL in fact, he's one of just two kickers in the league right now with at least 18 field goal makes and a 94.7% or better conversion rate. Carlson of the Raiders is the only other one that checks off that box. He's been fantastic. He's fourth in the league and made field goals. He's second among kickers with 15-plus attempts at 94.7%. He's 25 for 26 on PATs with his history. That's great news because he's always randomly struggled in that regard. He's tied for second with four 50-plus yard field goal makes. He's perfect from that distance. There are only four other kickers in the NFL right now that have been able to do that. Carlson's five for five from 50 yards out. There's three other kickers that are four for four from 50-plus yards. Myers is one of the five players that has done that. And oh, by the way, he made a huge tackle the other day on kickoff that if he didn't make that tackle, it might have ended up going back for six points. And so he's got that feather in his cap as well. Really feel like Jason Myers is having one of the best seasons of his career. Not quite as good as two years ago in terms of the fact that he didn't miss any field goals that season, but he's been better in PATs. He's been better from long distance this year. 
And that's a big reason why the Seahawks are six and three. They are getting really out. They're just getting outstanding play from Jason Myers all the way around. And as long as that continues and he doesn't have a regression in the second half, uh, that's a weapon for the Seahawks. When you can have a kicker that can consistently make 50 plus yard field goals, that really is a game changer, particularly when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do on fourth down situations. In the past, Pete Carroll might have been thinking, you know what, I'm going to take a delay a game. We're going to punt. Not going to be near as likely to do that with the way that Jason Myers is kicking the football right now. And, and he's been a big part of the Seahawks' red-hot start, particularly their four-game winning streak. He has been automatic on field goals as well as extra points. Up next, the Seahawks have a big game coming up in Munich, the first game ever in the regular season in Germany. They'll be taking on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I'm going to take a look at what's new with Tampa Bay heading into this Week 10 clash across the pond. We'll be right back. We're nearly halfway through the NFL season. We've got Week 10 coming up, and I've got Tyreek Hill going off for 170 yards and two touchdowns against the Browns. Swiss cheese defense, that might not seem like a bold leap, but with prize picks, it's easy to play. Daily fantasy and much more. And put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, and prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That could be the NFL, NBA, MLB, even disc golf if you want to do it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to PricePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard as well. We greatly appreciate all of you. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Day podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's all available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, shifting gears, as great as that win was on Sunday, finishing the season sweep against the Cardinals, the show must go on, and the Seahawks have another really good football team coming up on Sunday in Munich. And yes, the Buccaneers are under 500. It has been a struggle for them this year, but they've still got the go. Tom Brady under center. They've still got a lot of talent at receiver, and they've still got a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. This is going to be a challenging football game, particularly playing across the pond. And, and Tampa Bay's got some momentum. They just beat the Rams. The Rams have been in a very similar situation. Defending Super Bowl champs have not played well this year, and they are now under 500. But that is still a big win, defeating the defending champions. So Tom Brady and company feeling much better going to this game than they did when they were riding a two-game losing streak going into last weekend's game. And so this is a team that has undergone a lot of change, much different-looking squad than the one that won the Super Bowl two years ago. Just look at some of the big defections for this team, starting on the coaching staff, Bruce Arians, exiting stage left before the season started and Todd Bowles taking over as the head coach. That has been a transition, even though Bowles was on the staff as a defensive coordinator the last couple of years, including their Super Bowl season. That's still a significant loss. I think when you look at the additions, what's new with this Buccaneers team, there's some big names on here. 
Julio Jones, future Hall of Famer, coming to join Tom Brady. Akeem Hicks, a player that I argued the Seahawks should bring in because of his ties to Sean Desai, previously playing for him with the Bears. Really good fit for a 3-4. Kyle Rudolph at one point was one of the better tight ends in the NFL. Keanu Neal was a top draft pick that had some really good seasons in Atlanta. But, I mean, you look at that group, they really haven't gotten much from them. They've gotten eight receptions from Julio Jones. Akeem Hicks has played in three games total. Keanu O'Neal has started four out of nine games. He's been the most productive of the players that they've added on this group. Much more importantly, the losses that they've had, particularly on the offensive line. Ali Marpet was one of the best guards in the NFL, retiring at the age of just 28. One of those increasing number of players that are retiring much earlier than the way what they used to. And they also lost Ryan Jensen, their starting center, to a knee injury in training camp. So this was an offensive line that already was in bad shape with Alex Kappa leaving in free agency for the Bengals, Marpet retiring, and then Jensen getting hurt. None of those three players will be on the field for the Buccaneers when they play the Seahawks on Sunday. That has been a huge problem. They've been able to protect Brady well enough. Tom Brady's still near the bottom of the league in sacks, in part because he gets from the football so quickly. But they have struggled mightily to run the football with Leonard uh, Fournette and their rookie Rashad White out of Arizona State. White's averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Fournette well under four yards per carry. It has been a struggle. They've got some talent at the running back position, but the offensive line has not been able to open up holes consistently for that group. So they have really missed the offensive linemen that they lost through retirements, free agency, as well as injuries. That has decimated this offense more than anything. And they haven't been able to get their passing game going in part because they haven't been able to take as many deep shots as Tom Brady would like. The offense has been set back quite a bit by those changes along the offensive line. And from an injury standpoint, as I mentioned, the most notable one in the beginning of the year was Ryan Jensen. But this is worth noting going into this game, Shaquille Barrett has been one of the best pass rushers in the NFL for the last three years. The Buccaneers gave him a big contract. He tore his Achilles two weeks ago, and he is done for the season. So Geno Smith is not going to have to worry about Shaquille Barrett coming after him off the edge. Logan Ryan is also on injured reserve veteran cornerback safety, really just a do-it-all defensive back who played for the Patriots for a long time. He's won Super Bowl, really good player. So that's three players that won't be playing in this game that would be impact contributors for the Buccaneers. And I think if you're looking from Tampa Bay's perspective, with all the injuries, the inconsistency that they've had on offense and defense, the one thing that has helped them, they do have some rookies that are playing fairly well. This is not like the Seahawks draft class. Logan Hall has four quarterback hits and two sacks. He hasn't played a ton of snaps. He's going to get a lot more now that Shaquille Barrett is done for the season, though. And Logan Hall is a player that I really loved in the pre-draft process. I had him on the big board for the Seahawks. And from what I've gathered, the Seahawks were certainly interested in. But Buccaneers ended up taking him, and the Seahawks went with Boye Mafe. So, Logan Hall was on their short list. He's a guy I think he's going to have a lot more impact in the second half with Barrett being out. Really athletic player. You can slide inside and out. They've also got Kate Otten, the tight end from Washington. Pacific Northwest fans know him well. He's fifth on the team in receptions, and he's averaging almost 11 yards per catch this year. Seattle's had their issues with tight ends. So I think Kate Otten is going to be a name to keep a close eye on. And I mentioned Rashad White earlier as well. It feels like there might be a passing of the torch going on in Tampa Bay's backfield right now. Leonard Fournette, there's been playoff Lenny the last couple of years, and he's been really good for them. 
but he showed up in their offseason program out of shape. He was able to lose that weight by the time training camp showed up, and he has start, started all the games for the Buccaneers to this point. But Rashad White has been eating into his reps in part because of his pass catching ability. He has 20 receptions this season. He's really athletic, a guy that can make defenders miss in space, has a little more power, I think, than advertised. It feels like that torch is getting passed away from Fournette to Rashad White. I would not be surprised if he ends up getting the bulk of the carries moving forward for them. Fournette, I would expect, is going to start this week. But again, I think White is really nipping his heels. And if he's able to get something going on the ground, he's only averaging 3.1 yards per carry. If he can improve that number, get some big runs, I think he's eventually going to overtake Leonard Fournette. So the Buccaneers have some rookies that are making some contributions, not like the Seahawks. Again, Seattle's rookie class has been as good as any that we've seen with six starters from this rookie class, a couple undrafted guys that have had nice contributions when they've been given opportunities to play. So this is a really good draft class for the Seahawks. But I think the Buccaneers have some promising young players too, and a couple of them are going to get more opportunities now just because of injuries. And Kate Otten, I mentioned him as kind of the player to keep a close eye on because Seattle's tight end defense has not necessarily been great. It's been better as of late, but that is still an area that the Seahawks have had some struggles. They gave up a touchdown to Zach Ertz last week. So I could see Tom Brady, who has made a living throwing the football to his tight ends for the last couple of decades. I could see him and Kate Otten hooking up quite a bit in this game, but certainly the Buccaneers are a team that's a little bit wounded, especially in the offensive line. And yet, they're still in first place in the NFC South at four and five because it's really been a struggle in that division. And they're going to be trying to get right back to 500 again, back in the mix as being a contender in the NFC, despite their slow start. This is a huge game for them coming up on Sunday. And for the Seahawks, hey, you want more national notoriety? Go beat Tom Brady. Even with the Buccaneers being under 500, that would still be a statement win, particularly in Munich. The crowd's going to be nuts. Looking forward to continue covering this game on our second episode today. Matchup Wednesday will be coming later with Rob Rang. The two of us will be diving into six key matchups to watch when the Seahawks and Buccaneers clash in Munich. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. I'll be back with Rob Rang later with our Matchup Wednesday episode. A lot of tasty matchups going into this game in Germany. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.